And the last time I had the privilege uh, to teach, I taught 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 3. Uh, but so I've been in 1 Corinthians just studying the chapter, the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And I entitled this evening's message, There's a Problem in the Church. There's a problem in the church. You see, sometimes there, there's problems that we cannot see because they're under the surface. You know, my son Tony and his wife Stephanie, they just bought a, uh, they bought a house. And they're doing some renovations right now. And they're doing these renovations to their laundry room. And, and as we were, you know, going through the demo process, we were kind of... Uh, you know, thinking, what are we going to do, you know, to, to solve this problem, to put a drain in there? So we took some paneling off, and they, they, they found a drain pipe. So it was, it was just what we needed. Uh, on, on, the, on the surface, everything looked good. And then what happened is we went to test the line. They put a, a, a water hose in the line, and it just started to back up. Water started to run out of it, and it's like, oh, no. And here's dad. Dad's got to dig, you know. Uh, Dad's got to dig. So I'm out there digging. And, you know, so digging is is a good thing. You know, digging is a good thing. Uh, And especially digging into the Word of God. You know, we want to get into the foundation of the problem. But a lot of times when we dig, we we go to the root. And and let's tonight, we're going to dig into the Word. Because the Word of God is the foundation. It's good to dig in it. And digging in the Word, it gives us the fundamental principles that we, as Christians, need to live by. Biblical principles. And it's always a good place to begin when there's a problem. Like I said, the title is, There's a Problem in the Church. So, we're going to dig into the Word. But see, as you dig, and as I was digging in the backyard... Uh, digging can expose unforeseen problems. I saw a lot of roots. You know, I had a, a, a different point of view. You know, I, we couldn't see a lot of the problems because the problems are not on the surface. So I was, I was digging down to the foundation. I was looking and I was seeing all kinds of problems where uh, on the surface you couldn't tell. And so I, I began to dig. So tonight we're going to dig and we're going to go to the viewpoint of Scripture and the view of our hearts. And we'll see this here in verse, verses 1 through 3 in the letter here. It is a greeting to a group of believing brothers and sisters. And a lot of times people believe this greeting might seem common or... It's just a, a kind of like a, a sal- like a, like a hello, but in this greeting, it's packed with amazing biblical doctrine, biblical teaching, that will prove valuable to you and me, to every Christian. This is some valuable stuff. Just here in the greeting alone, you can make a big study on the greeting alone. It's a treasure here. It's to the believer. It should be like a treasure. And you know what? When we find treasure, it's not on the surface. You've got to dig for it. And so here tonight, we're going to dig into scriptures. We're going to see the root of the problem, but we're going to see the, the treasure of God's word. So let's start digging into the text here in verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenus, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord, uh, on the Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first part here, Paul says... That he is called to be an apostle. Paul was called to be an apostle. But know this, Christian, know this. By the will of God, he said he was called to be an apostle. But that too with us, we're called to be something by God. God has called each one of us to be something. 
you know, and what I mean to be called is to be in God's service. And when we're called into God's service, maybe we don't have the, a role of being a pastor or teacher, but we're all called to some kind of role and some kind of responsibility in the body of Christ. How do we know this? The scripture teaches us that every Christian has a role and a responsibility that God gives each one of us. And one day we will be an account or held accountable for it. And as a church, as the people of God, we should have a holy ambition. And a holy ambition simply means that we should have a desire to serve God. Why? Because God is so good. We should have a desire to serve God. In his book, Oswald Sanders said about spiritual leadership, he said, to aspire to leadership is an honorable ambition. So to you know, serve the Lord, is, it's honorable. It's something that we should aspire to do. But as Pastor Joe mentioned last week in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah told his student in Jeremiah 45, 5, he says, should you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. So there's a balance of, yeah, I want to do great things for God, but I want, to, I want to not seek great things for myself. And so there's a balance. And in Paul's day, there was a great danger, as well as a heavy responsibility for leading the church. And I'm thankful for God's people who pray for us in ministry. As Paul's day, there was great danger. You see, leading the church at that time, there was no, as is a little different from now, there is, right now there's no apparent visible danger. But we do foresee a danger for the church coming in the, in the coming years. We do see danger approaching as we see a, a culture shift in our day. You see, Paul's, in Paul's day, the reward for leading the church was hardship. It was con- there was contempt or a dislike for people. And that's where we're headed, a hardsh- a times of hardship, times of contempt, dislike, rejection, and even death during Paul's time. Most of the first century Christians were, were martyred, meaning they voluntarily suffered the death penalty for witnessing and refusing to renounce their faith in Christ. So it's quite different from our day. We have a kind of a, a cushy Christianity for the moment. But persecution is around the corner. So in Paul's day, the leaders were the first to experience persecution. And the first in line to suffer. So like I said, I thank the Lord for his praying people. You know, we're so grateful for those of you who do. But like Paul mentioned, we are called by God to do something. The difference is, here's the difference between the Apostle Paul and us. We all have different roles and responsibilities. Each one of us will give an account, like I mentioned before, as he's called us. You know, think about the parable of the talents. You remember the parable of the talents that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14? He said the kingdom of heaven is, is illustrated in a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted them with money and he gave them to them to be responsible for it for a while and he was gone for a long time. And in verse 21 of that portion of scripture It says, on that day when the Lord returns, he will say to those who are gathered, as Jesus describes here in the text in Matthew, uh, two different contrasts. He sheds two different lights on what we will see on that day. In verse 21 of that verse, he says, to one group he will say, well done. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a few things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into the joy of the Lord. 
good, well done, good and faithful servants. But in 26 of that, of Matthew 25, to the other, Jesus will say on that day, you wicked and slothful or lazy servant. And then he calls them useless and he throws them into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, that's that's pretty that's pretty heavy, you know, because we have this idea that. You know, God is God doesn't hold people accountable. He does. We I added a scripture in here, James, chapter three and verse one, he says, let not many of you become teachers, knowing you will receive a stricter judgment to much is given much is more more is required. We see that in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. So God has called us to serve. Each one of you is called, God has called for some particular role and responsibility in the body of Christ. Either we're called good and faithful or lazy and wicked. And, and so with the role and responsibility God has given you, we need to pray that we would have the drive to give God our very best. We need to pray that we would be faithful and that our focus would be on the Lord. Someone once said, motivation which centers on the glory of God and the welfare of the church, his people is a mighty force for good. Man, you know, if just think of we're all serving in unity and we're giving, every one of us is giving the Lord all our energy we're not sidetracked. Just imagine what he could do. We surrender our hearts. It's amazing. So Paul said, I was called to be an apostle of Christ by the will of God. And he, you know what? He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says he was called by the grace of God. He said, I am what I am. By God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. And then he said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So Paul set a good example for us. You see, Paul trusted in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in his life. And two with us, we as Christians, we lack in the area of inviting the Holy Spirit in our life to empower us to do the work of what he's called us to do. A lot of our ministry and what we do is in the operation of the flesh. I'm doing, God has called me to do a spiritual work. Therefore, I need to do it in a spiritual power and to be a witness to live. I can't live on my flesh alone. If I live on the flesh alone, I'm going to have fleshly results. But if I live in the spirit and walk in the spirit, I will have spiritual dividends. There's going to be evidence of the work of God's spirit in my life. So Paul is a good example for us to follow. He trusted in the power of God and the grace of God on his life for his role and his responsibilities. But yet here in the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10 Paul didn't lack in the area of personal diligence. Neither should we. Neither should we. We as Christians have, we can tap into the power of God, but we can lack in spiritual discipline. I can, I can lack in being um, in personal diligence. But Paul here said, I labored more abundantly. So you might think, hey, I, you know, God has called Paul awesome, but compared to Paul, my, you know, my role and my responsibilities, I can't even come close. I can't even come close to the Apostle Paul. But you know what? We don't have to come as close to the Apostle Paul. The same spirit that worked in him, the same word that worked in him is available to us. The same empowerment, the same Lord. And what is interesting is, yes, Paul is like, you know, likened, I, I liken Paul into, you ever see these great big cathedrals? These great big cathedrals have these huge, humongous doors that 
Sometimes they can't open them by themselves. It takes more than one person to open that door. But you see, under the surface of great doors, there are very small hinges. Very small hinges. And those hinges are very important. Warren Wiersbe said, like large doors, great life-changing events swing on very small hinges. And my point is, is I'm, I'm so grateful for small hinges. What do I mean by small hinges? Is ordinary people doing the work of ministry. You know, my nephew sent me a text the other day, and he was talking about John Knox, and God used John Knox tremendously. But there was one guy in John Knox's life that made a difference in John Knox. And he supported him. And, and, but we don't read about the other John in his life. You see, we need to pray for the work of the Spirit as you're called to ministry for the Lord. I think of, when I think of small hinges, I think of unseen men and women like door hinges serving the Lord. Like door hinges, they, those who are consistently praying, praying for God's people and, and God's work. And they're like door hinges. They're, they're praying for people. They're praying for the ministry. They're praying for their families. They're praying for pastors and they're, they're praying for their church families and they're praying for their communities. That means a lot. That's the work of ministry. Am I diligent in it? I I praise the Lord for those small hinges. Those people who give themselves to prayer. Like door hinges, those also who consistently tithe to the ministry. I I was talking to someone uh, the other day and they were feeling bad that, that they can't serve more because of the difficulties at home and, and, you know, taking care of a loved one and they, they, and you know what? Um, they're, a, they're a door hinge. They're, they, God is using them where they're at, at the moment. They consistently tie to the ministry without looking for the praise of men or recognition. You see, those who tithe and serve the Lord when no one's looking is a beautiful thing. And especially those who serve the Lord in the shade. And, and what I mean by the shade is when no one's watching. They're giving of their time. They're giving of their resources. Like door hinges, they're living out Scripture as we see it in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, with goodwill doing your service as unto the Lord and not to men. You're serving the Lord. Give them your all. Give them empower ask him for the empowering of the holy spirit to serve him as first as colossians chapter 3 verse 23 23 says whatever you do do it heartily as to the lord and not to men and that's a that's a beautiful thing you know you're 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 doing it because you're you're you love the lord so pray for a supernatural work you know of the Holy Spirit in your life and that God would give you that motivation to give him your all and give him your best. Be faithful. Be faithful to whatever he's called you to do so you could hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, because I gave you this to do and you did it faithfully. He's not asking for big things. Little hinges go a great way. I'm so grateful for the little hinges in my life. People who prayed for me when I was out in the world and in darkness and sin. The person who invited me to church. The people who prayed for me when I was out on the streets. Man, that made a difference. That was huge. And when the Lord called me out of darkness and I got saved, man, I went to those people to thank them. I went to churches and I just showed up. Hey, look at, man, what the Lord has done. Thank you for praying for me. Get to praying, people. Get to ministry. Ask the Lord to stir your hearts. So in the verse here, you're called to be 
Each one of you are called to be in his service. Each one of you are called to, to be and serve his work. But we see here in the greeting, the church is a family. We see them called brothers here. And in verse 2, Paul was addressing the church at Corinth. But, you know, we are a family here and we should get to know each other we need to bear one another's burdens as the scripture says we're a family here we're the called the cornerstone family here paul was addressing the church at corinth and we here are a family as well we pray that you are embraced as a family member you know you have troubles you you come and we'll pray let's talk let's let's get to know each other let's lift each other's families up let's let's bear one another's burdens let's go You know, the time is short. The Lord is coming. So we need to get get busy and pray. But Paul called these groups of believers here, he says, those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified means to render or to make render or to declare sacred or holy, to purify to separate from profane things like the irreverent, disrespectful, and the wicked. So we are separated, we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Because now we're in a relationship with Him. You see, a relationship with Him, we're cleansed internally by a reformation and renovation inwardly basically we had a spiritual overhaul of the soul god did a work of his spirit when we accepted the lord inwardly so we should be a separated people a sanctified people a work done by god but here he also calls them saints calls them saints and and being a saint simply means being set apart for his glory. You don't have to wait to be voted in to be a saint. You're a saint because you're separated, set apart for God and his glory. So when my life doesn't glorify God and non-believers say, hey, man, you should, you should call yourself a Christian. You should say, yeah, I'm right. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm not bringing glory to God. But you see, that's a misconception. Christians are not perfect. We blow it. So fess up to it. So we're called to be saints. We're called to be set apart. And here we're a spiritual family. And Paul Paul here addresses, he says, uh, those who call on the Lord Jesus in every place, both theirs and ours. So we are part of a universal family family that's why i can meet you know i met a i met a guy today uh he works for athens the trash company and we were talking and he's my brother in christ and we we just hit it off we had a good relationship we we could we know we have there's a connection there a spiritual connection we're family and that's a that's a beautiful thing we are part of a body of christ but verse three says grace to you and peace from god the father of the and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll hit a little bit more on grace right now. But verses 4 through 9. Paul said, I thank God always concerning you. Speaking to the church. For the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched with everything by him in all utterance and knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift. Eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what grace means, grace or graciousness here means to be made to be made accepted you are made accepted see 
to God. You're made accepted to God. You don't, you're not accepted to God on your own goodness or your own merit or works or anything. God doesn't do that. You're accepted by God's grace through faith alone and Christ alone. So grace means to be accepted by divine influence upon your heart and, it, and your life is a reflection of his grace or should be a reflection of his grace on your life. But Paul here said, I thank God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. So the grace of God, which was given to us by Christ Jesus. And here in verses five through seven, Paul commends the church on a few obvious outward qualities. First, he said, your progress, you're progressing. He's basically saying, he's saying, he said, you're, you're excelling here in these verses. You're excelling in certain areas. Paul said the first thing here, your speech and your biblical knowledge. You're, you're starting to excel. Number one. Number two, Paul said, you're gifted spiritually. You're not lacking in the area of gifting. Number three, he says, you're eagerly waiting for the Lord. That's a good thing. So you're, you're gifted. You're, you're, you're waiting on the Lord. And then number four, you're called into this special fellowship because of Jesus Christ. And in verse eight, he says, because of Jesus Christ, he says, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But verse 8 says, who will confirm you to the end that you may be blameless. And that word confirm simply means to, to stable or to cause you to establish you or to make you stable, to make you stable. Basically, God is setting you up for success. He's setting you up for success. He's making you firm and ready, you know, equipped, ready for the end. But the word here, blameless, means unreprovable, which cannot be counted into count or reprovable or accused. What, in other words, when we go stand before God because of our relationship with, with God, okay, one day, we're all going to stand before God on the day of judgment. We're going to stand before God. And because we have a relationship in Christ, with Christ, God sees us perfect, holy, sinless. And that's, because we're, that's not because we're sinless. It's because of Christ. His sinless life is put to our account. We go before the Lord blameless. Why? Because he died for our sins. So we enter in uh, Colossians chapter one, verse 22 explains. This is speaking of Jesus in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in the father's sight. One day we're going to stand before God. See, I'm not going to stand before God by my own goodness because it's like stinking rags. It's like stinking rags. I'm not perfect. I blow it. I sin. I miss the mark. So one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to be unblemished because of Christ. So when we stand before the God on that day, the Father will see Jesus. So under the surface, under the surface of what we're digging into right here, under the surface, we see the jewel of Jesus. Man, because of Jesus, I get to go to heaven. Because of Jesus, I'm, I'm firm. I, I, I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm made new. I'm perfect. I'm set apart. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. Man, the jewel is Jesus. And when we stand before God, he's going to see the jewel. And, and I'm going to be entered in because of Jesus. You see, the Father keeps his word, and Jesus was faithful. 
You know, we all know that, that verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why? Because He died for us. How beautiful He is. Man, that should cause us to want to serve Him in gratitude, in love, in devotion, and spend time with Him. But we see here, there's, there's a transition here in Paul's tone as he starts down in verse 10 because he just ended with God is faithful. But in verse 10 now, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, speaking to the church, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So he's pleading with the church. Now his tone has changed. He just showed us the jewel of Scripture, the jewel of the Christian. Now he's pleading with the church. There's a problem in the church. There's a problem in the church. Let me read that on the New New Living Translation. He says, I I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let no divisions be among you in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. We need to be united in thought and purpose. Let no division. Let's, Let's pray for harmony and unity. Let's each work together To glorify God. But the reason for his concern. We see here in verse 11. He says. For it has been declared to me. Concerning you. My brethren. By those of Cleo's household. That there are contentions among you. You see. There was a problem. In the church. There was contentions. There was problems. There was. There was fleshly difficulties. Between. uh, Church people. Brothers and sisters in the Christ are fighting with each other. There's contentions, spiritual pride, little cliques. In verse 12, he says, And now I say, and now I say this that each of you says, I am of a Paul, or I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, who's Peter, or I am of Christ. Then he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Uh, Least anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of, of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So twice here in the letter, Paul addresses the church about Jesus. And the church about spiritual pride. You see, at this time, the, the, the congregants were so focused on man-centered religion. They were following the teachers. And there's nothing wrong with having good teachers teach you but when your teacher becomes the emphasis and it's not god then there's a problem and paul was saying it here it's not about paul it's not about me he says it's not about peter it's not about apollos it's about the lord we need to go back to getting back on track so the problem was spiritual pride and and here there was a man-centered uh christianity It became more about the who's who. Who's your leader? Who's your pastor? Who baptized you? But Paul said, was was I crucified for you? No. In other words, hey, let's, let's get back to having a right perspective. It's Christ. We need to get back to focus, and it's It's Jesus. It's Jesus. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. And here Paul tells the church, don't get caught up in that. Man, you guys are caught up in fleshly things. Man, let's get back to Jesus. And we do need to get back to Jesus. You see, this church didn't realize 
that they were so they were off. But Paul got them back to track back on track. He says, God, Christ didn't send me to baptize. It's not about baptism, although baptism is important, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of word, least the cross of Christ be made no, of no effect. In other words, it's a simple message. The gospel message and the work of Christ on the cross. That is our focus. That is our focus. Why? Because it's what's going to save you and what's going to sustain you and keep you in times of difficulties. But the gospel message is simple. It's simple. And the work of cross is simple, but when we have a simple message, the gospel message, and we're sharing it with people, expect results. Expect these results. Listen to what it says in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wise, the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the, the disputer of this age? Has God not, has God not made the, the foolish the wisdom of God? Or, I'm sorry, the foolish the wisdom of this world? For since, the, for since in the, the wisdom of God, the world... Through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greek. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So Paul was saying, expect being rejected. You know, our message is simple, but powerful. Okay, it's simple, but it is powerful. So the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So that's why when we share the gospel, people think, it's foolish. Why? They're perishing. Okay? So we, we share the gospel. We wait on God for them, for him to do a work in, of his, their spirit in their lives. Number two, but to us who are being saved, the gospel message is the power of God. So that's why it's important for us as Christians to know the gospel and to share the gospel message. You know, I, ma- I, I made a point to give you that outline last time I taught sustain why it keeps you on track so that you could share the gospel it's a power of God unto salvation so Paul was saying you know it's going to be like foolishness it's the power of God to those who are being saved stay on point he's saying uh, we preach Christ crucified our message will be number one a stumbling block to people people are going to get stumbled and it's going to be it's going to seem foolish to others. It's going to seem foolish. So expect those results. A lot of times when we're sharing the gospel and we get they reject it, I get all bummed out. Oh, I don't want to do it anymore. Oh, you know, oh man, it's just a waste of time. But here it it says it's the power of God unto salvation. I'm this is man's greatest need and all of a sudden, the results aren't favorable what I think they should be, and I, I stopped doing it. And, man, that's not good. We need to get back to sharing, this, sharing the gospel. Why? It's the power of God unto salvation. It's what man needs. So Paul calls us back to duty. He calls the church back to duty in verse 26 through 28. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, And he's not speaking to the pastors. He's speaking to the church. You know your calling. You're called to serve. You're called to work. You're called to be those hinges in ministry. He says, for you know your calling, brethren. Not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. 
Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So number one, God is not looking for scholars. God's not looking for you to be a scholar, a theologian. He's looking for a humble seeker of God. You see, John the Baptist wasn't a scholar. He was humble. He was taught by his father. But he was a seeker of God, and God used him tremendously. Does God want to use you? Absolutely. Give diligence. Be a seeker of God. Number two, God is not looking for the strong. God is not looking for the strong, but he's looking for the available and the faithful. God's not looking for strong. Great orators. He's not looking for the strong. He will use the weak and the meek. You know, when I, when I think of this, I, I think of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 38. Man, they were waiting for the Lord. Here you have an, a, an aged man. He was up there in age. And what was he? He was in the temple praying. And Anna, the prophetess, she was elderly. She was well in her age. And she was in the temple and she was praying. And God used them tremendously. And they experienced witnessing the Lord. They got to see the Lord. Simeon got to hold Jesus. Anna got to pray over him. Why? It wasn't because they were strong. It was because they were faithful and they were available. They were in the temple. They were waiting. There were those small hinges. There were, you know, the scholars at that time probably would brush them aside and say they were, they were nothing. They were mighty to God. We see their names in scriptures because they were faithful. They were available. Are you faithful? Are you available to the Lord? Pray. I also think here that God is not looking for the strong, but he's, using, he's looking for the faithful and available. I think of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth and Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. You know, here you have a woman well into her age. Again, age is not a factor. God wants to use you. And, and here, man, she was barren and God does a, a supernatural work in her life and in Zechariah. And then they had John the Baptist. Man, what an amazing thing. Why? Because they were faithful. They were available. They weren't strong. They were available. They were teachable. Number three, God is not looking for the noble. He's not looking for superstars. You know, it just seems like every time a superstar gets saved, they want to get them on a platform or, you know, out there. Or you hear a, a you know, a singer who's a, a great Christian contemporary singer and you want to give them a platform, but they don't know the gospel. That's a shame. They don't know how to answer. It's a shame. God's not looking for superstars. God's looking for the hinges. Small, ordinary people. It says, For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things. And I look at the base things. That, that word is the, the cowardly. Are you timid? You like piglet? Oh, oh, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know. You know, think of Gideon. He was timid. He was hiding. He was timid. God chose the weak thing to put to shame the mighty. Big army. And then uh, all these soldiers came to Gideon and his, he could have went, oh, yeah, all right, I got this. And then God tells him, get rid of some. You got too many. You got too many. You're relying on the flesh. 
Watch, watch what I do. He's 300. You think of the frail things that God used, the frail people that God used. I think of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to go to the promised land. 75 years old, I'm too old. Man, he believed God. And God did an awesome work in his life. It wasn't, it, it was because he was faithful. He believed God. And that's all we have to do is believe God and trust God and say, okay, God, here I am. Do a work of your spirit in me. Let me be a part of your work. See what God does. Look at his wife, Sarah. Again, another woman well into her age. It wasn't their work. They can't take credit for it. It was the work of God in their life. And the same thing with us. You know, I, 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 a lot of times we want to do ministry in this. But I want to do, I want to let God have his way in my life. And, and do a work that goes beyond me. Man, Lord, have your way. Think of the little things. I think of, of Jacob, the least of the brothers. He wasn't the strong brother. He was the weak and the, and, and the, the deceiving brother, the little trickster. God used him. I think of Joseph, the, the, the least of his brothers as well. God used him. It wasn't the strong brothers. It was the weak brother. How about David? You know, remember when David went and he heard the armies were fighting, they were all lined up for battle, and, and David goes out there, and what is David trusting in? He hears it, and he goes, uh-uh, I trust in the Lord. God wasn't using, was waiting for this. Who was the strongest and the biggest among them was Saul. Saul is a type of the flesh. David is a type of that which is led and powered by the Holy Spirit, and I want to be like that. We need to pray to be used by God like this. These are those that the world despises, things that are nothing, you know. You look at this door, they look at a beautiful door, and they say, oh, what a beautiful door. But they don't see the hinge that holds it up. I thank God for those ordinary people that God is using in ministry to hold up great doors and to open great doors. Here's the reason in verse 29. It says that no, why is God choosing the weak, the humble, the meek, the available, not looking for superstars, looking for ordinary people? Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. We don't get the credit. God gets the credit. Why? We get to witness him work. He's glorified. And as I was digging this week, I entitled the message here, There's a Problem in the Church. You see, this church didn't know they had a problem. They had to be pointed out to them. And as I was digging this week, my friend Pete jokingly, because the, the, the thing I dug was pretty wide. It was, it was like three feet wide. It was over six feet wide, and then it went another way. So uh, it was pretty deep. It was probably about almost four feet deep by three feet wide, six feet one way, and then another four feet. And my, my friend Pete was joking, and he says, man, that's, that's a big enough hole to throw somebody in. And uh, he goes, you could bury a couple of your enemies in there. And I was like... And I thought about it, and I, 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 you know what, I, I thought about it, and I was like, Lord, I don't have no enemies. And, and I thank the Lord. Father, I thank you that I don't have any enemies. And, you know, I kind of just paused there. And the Lord showed me something differently. The Holy Spirit showed me that there was some, that I do have an, an enemy. Three, according to Scripture. Satan, we have spiritual opposition. We have an enemy. Satan and his demon, demonic foes. 
And see, like this church was centered, they were focused on man, and they were fighting among each other, and they were in the flesh. Man, you're no match for the, flo- the foe. When we're in fighting, man, God doesn't get glory. God doesn't get glory, and the enemy will just pick you off. He's going to pick us off one at a time because we're too busy fighting battles that are, and our focus is off track. We're already in a losing battle. Number two, the second enemy is the world. We have a worldly enemy that desires to influence us as Christians. I got to ask myself the question, am I, curr- am I currently being influenced more by social media or ungodly good fellows? And I call them good fellows because there are some nice people in my life, but sometimes they can influence me in the wrong way. They're influencing me for my own demise. You see, the influence of the world to the Christian, just, it, it, isn't, it isn't abrupt. It isn't an abrupt enemy that's going to go, ah, I got you. Ah, I attack you. The world, ah. It's not like that. You know, think of it like a, you know, you guys ever see an hourglass? And then it has a grain, just drops, right? It just drops. And just think of your life in Christ, your your and and just being undermined grain by grain. The enemy is just going like this, grain by grain. And what happens to the hourglass? It starts to sink, right? Until eventually you're left with nothing above and you're stuck underneath with dirt. Nothing to show for. No heavenly rewards or dividends. You're, you're missing out. You're going to miss out because the world's going to influence you to walk away from God. The world's going to influence you to do sinful things. The enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy you. But he doesn't come with an evil mass. He comes with a pat on the shoulder. Come on, let's have fun. Come on, this will satisfy you. Come on, I, I know because he tries to do this to me. And if he does this to me, he's doing it to you. And each one of us has something. Each one of us, the enemy knows what bait to use with each one of you, as he does with me. He wants to undermine. He wants to pull me away. And the last enemy, as I was digging the hole the Lord said, jump in. Jump in. My flesh. My flesh is the biggest enemy, and the Lord is telling me, jump in. Jump in the hole. You see, there's a problem in the church. Problem. I think of the rich young ruler who said, was, went to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, and he said, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Go your way. Sell all you have. Give to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. You see, it could be one thing. One thing. You see, Jesus was saying, die to self and follow me. Carry your cross. And here the Lord was showing me, I have dug up my own grave and my stinking life and I try to put it on my back and I'm carrying it around when I'm walking in the flesh. I'm carrying the stinking carcass of a dead, sinful life. When we're in sin, We're not, take, we're not denying ourselves and taking up our cross. We're carrying that stinking carcass of our old life. That's heavy. Can't smell ourselves. We're nose blind to our own sin. But think of baptism. Baptism 
When, when we're baptized, it's symbolic of the grave. And we're, we dunk the person and we dunk them in the water and the water symbolic of the grave. And then we bring them up and into the newness of life like the resurrection. And we're stating, I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection and the new life. But then my flesh gets me. And I want to go back into the grave. I want to go back into that stinking hole that I... I it was buried and I'm digging it out and I put that stinking carcass back on. You see, nowadays, Christ, nowadays people want a Christianity without self-denial. There's no death to self. The flesh doesn't want to pick up its cross. It rather it likes to stay in its own rotten carcass. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he goes on to say in verse 13 of Romans chapter 6, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So let, in closing, let Scripture reveal what's going on, on the, under the surface. We saw under the surface of Scripture the jewel of Jesus. But we also need to look at Scripture and see what's going on here in my heart. Like this church here, they didn't see the obvious. Somebody had to point it out. And two, we have the Holy Spirit and we invite Him into our life to convict us of sin and judgment and righteousness so that we could get on track. We need to pray, Lord, have your way. We sing that song, Lord, have your way with me. Lord, search my heart. But do we mean it? Lord, search what's under the Scripture like Cleo's house, and bring to the surface uh, through the Holy Spirit what is taking place in here. As God showed me my own stinking carcass, that I was to jump in that own hole symbolically. But pray for an overcoming walk, that we would walk in the power of the Lord, seeking His grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. Church, let's get, let's get to work. Let's get back on track. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. And in closing, verse 30 says, you know, in light of all this, he says, but of him, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So number one, wisdom. We need the Lord's wisdom. Number two, righteousness. Man, I need Christ's righteousness. Why? Because, man, I'm filthy rags. I, I need a work of the Spirit every day. In my life, I need Christ's righteousness. Sanctification speaks of purity. Jesus in Matthew, in John chapter 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify in his prayer to the Father, he says, Sanctify them, speaking to the church, by your word, your word is truth. We need to be sanctified. And in Christ, we are sanctified, made pure. And redemption speaks of, He paid for our sins. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God that he would die for sinful man. So let's praise him. Let's serve him. But at this time, let's examine our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for scripture. I thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray, Lord, for refreshing, for renewal. Father, for a supernatural work, Lord, put us to work for your glory and for the good of your people. And Father, as that quote said, may we be a force for good in our church, our homes, 
in our communities. Father, do a work of your spirit. Father, we pray, Lord, for our hearts. Lord, what is um, what we can't see, like the church in Corinth. They, they couldn't see their, their own shortcomings. We pray for a work of your spirit, Lord, that you would minister to each one of us. And Father, that we would get back on track. We thank you for the grace you've given us, Lord. We thank you that you speak to us as children. You, you correct us. You chasten us to get us back on track. Why? Because we're your kids, Lord. And thank you so much for your grace that you've given to us. Father, we thank you for the work that you began. And we know that you're faithful to complete it. So, Father, have your way with my brothers, my sisters, Lord. Minister to their hearts, Lord. Give us a, a, a holy ambition to serve you more, to seek you more, to deny self more, and uh, to take up our cross, Lord. Father, we're, and to remember the cross and how grateful we should be for it, Lord. So do a work of your spirit in each one of us, Lord. We love you, Father. We thank you for the work of your spirit. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we all say, amen.